I believe in order to get to heaven, we have to surrender our lives to Jesus. Do unto others as you shall have others do unto you. I'm not necessarily a religious person. I don't go to church, but I treat people the way that I would like to be treated. And you have to be good. That's 100%. You just have to be good in this life. To me, it doesn't matter if it's like Christianity, Buddhism, whatever. You know, you all have your sacred place that you're going to go, and I believe that if you practice your religion like it, you're supposed to, um, then you're going to go where you need to go. I mean, I, I like to think that once you, you're you done on this earth, you get reunited with your loved ones that have, uh, have also left this earth. Um, you know, I can see some family members again that have departed us, uh, you know, other loved ones, friends, uh, maybe even maybe even our pets that have left, left the earth. Uh, I like to think that would happen. I just, you know, I, I don't know. It's just like, you know, in this world, nothing, you, you cannot carry nothing with you. You cannot carry your money, you cannot carry your house, you cannot carry with nothing except your good deeds and bad deeds. And I believe if you do good deeds, you go to heaven. But if your bad deeds are more, then you go to hell. Well, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And through, he's the only way through to get to God. You have to go through Jesus Christ, not Muhammad, not you know, not all the other gods that are out there because they were just men. Jesus is the only one that rose from the dead. So he's the one that, you know, secures our eternal life. People say to me sometimes when I'm debating them on TV, they'll say, when a pastor, only God can declare who's going to be in heaven. Only God gets to make that decision. And I say, that is absolutely true. Only God can decide who is going to be into heaven. The fact is, he's already decided that though. And he's made his decision public. He said, there's only one way to heaven, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. When I say we're going to be surprised about who is in heaven, what I'm saying is we're going to be surprised about those who have trusted in Christ. You know, in Hebrews 4.12, the New Testament says only God is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of a person's heart. And, and so I think we're going to be surprised to find that many people we thought would have never trusted in Christ actually did end up trusting in Christ as Savior. But we're also going to be surprised that many people we thought had trusted in Christ, in fact, in their hearts, had never trusted in Christ for salvation. In heaven, we may be surprised about other people who are or aren't in heaven. But we never want to be surprised about our own eternal destination. And yet the Bible indicates many people will be surprised. It will be the surprise of a lifetime when they discover that although they thought they were going to be welcomed into heaven, God turns them away. Listen to what Jesus said about that surprise in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. For many will say to me on that day, 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Will you underline that word in verse 22? Many will say to me on that day, what day is he talking about? He's talking about the judgment day. He said, not just a few people are going to be surprised. Many will be surprised who thought God will welcome them into heaven, but in fact, God will turn them away from heaven. Why is that? Simple. They were on the wrong road all of the time. You see, the Bible teaches that there are two roads in life that lead to two very different destinations. Look up at verses 13 and 14. Jesus explained that in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, about the fact that there are two roads that lead to two destinations. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? There are two roads in life. One road is a broad road. It's a wide highway. It's the highway that leads ultimately to hell. And on this broad road that go to hell, there are many, many people. Most are on that road. But Jesus said there is another road going in the opposite direction that is very narrow. It's the road that leads to heaven. And very few people are on that road. How can you make sure you're on the right road, the right highway that leads to heaven, and not on the highway that leads to hell? Let's go back to Winnipeg, Manitoba for a moment. Let's just suppose you live in Oklahoma, and you decide you'd like to take a vacation to Winnipeg. You'd like to actually go there on purpose instead of by accident. And so you say, you know, I think it'll be nice to drive there. We're going to drive to Winnipeg. And so you get on the highway headed toward Winnipeg. But a little bit after you start out, you see a sign that says Dallas, 100 miles. And you go a little further and you see another sign that says Houston, 300 miles. And then you go a little further and you see a billboard that says, enjoy a luxurious night at the Holiday Inn in Laredo, Texas. Now, what conclusion do you draw? The fact is, you're headed in the wrong direction. You sincerely believed you were headed north, but in spite of your sincerity, you were headed south. And that's the same thing for those of us about our eternal destination. There are many people out there who sincerely believe they're going to heaven. They sincerely follow other ways to heaven, Hinduism, Islam, uh, Buddhism, a number of different ways. They think they're headed to heaven. They're sincere in their hearts. But it doesn't matter how sincere you are, you can be sincerely wrong. How can you make sure you're on the highway to heaven and not the highway to hell? The journey begins not in the next life. The journey to heaven or hell begins in this life. In this life, you're on one of two roads, Jesus said. You're on the highway to heaven or the highway to hell. How can you know if you're on the highway to heaven? Well, there are four signposts, if you will, that you can check to see if you are on the right road that will end up in heaven. 
These signposts represent four essential truths you must acknowledge not just in your head, but in your heart, if you're going to end up in heaven one day. What are these signposts? Signpost number one, we have to acknowledge that we have a sin problem. Now, you know, most people refuse to go any further. When they see that sign, they say, I'm not going any further. I don't like being called a sinner. That is insulting to me. And so many people, when they see that sign saying, I'm turning around, I'm getting on a different road. But the fact is, God says we are all sinners. Romans 3 verses 10 to 12 says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. For all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And then the climax is verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many good people are there in the world? How many people are righteous? That word righteous means in a right standing with God. Whom does God look at and say, that's a really good guy or girl? Zero, none, nada, zilch. There is no one righteous according to God's perfect standard. Some have sinned more than others, but we have all sinned and fallen short of God's plan for our life. He goes on to say in Romans 6.23, for the wages, that is the payment of sin, is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. That word death, thanatos in Greek, means separation. Just as physical death is the separation of our body from our spirit, eternal death is the separation of our spirit from God. We all deserve that sentence because the fact is we have all sinned before God. People don't want to hear that. You know, they protest their sinfulness and in doing so they are kind of like the child who protests to his mom that he didn't have his hand anywhere near the cookie jar while the crumbs are still stuck on his chin. You know, we can say all we want to, we're not sinners, but we have evidence of our sin every day in our life, don't we? I mean, have you ever had this situation? You're seated even on a church service like this, singing these wonderful praises to God or listening to the pastor. And as you sit there, all of a sudden, this horrible, terrible thought comes into your mind. You're like, where did that come from? My goodness, I can't believe that. Well, those thoughts are those outbursts of anger. Are those sinful actions or wrong motives? Those are symptoms of the sin problem we have all inherited. We inherited a virus called sin, and the Bible says because of that, we are all guilty before God. And that leads to signpost number two that we must acknowledge on our way to heaven. And that is God is sinless. Even though we have a sin problem, God is sinless. The word in the Bible for that is holy. No less than six times in the Bible, God says, be holy for I am holy. That word holy literally means different, separate, above. God is different than we are. We are sinful, God is sinless. A lot of people don't understand that. In their heart of hearts, many people say, you know, why is God so judgmental about sin? I mean, why can't God be more like me? I mean, I'm so kind and tolerant, I find it easy to overlook the faults of other people. And I surely find it easy to overlook my own faults. 
Why can't God be as tolerant as I am? The truth that you and I can overlook sin and other people and in our lives is not because we are so like God, it's because we are so unlike God. The fact that we do tolerate sin in our own lives and the lives of other people means we are sinful. But God is not like we are. In Habakkuk 1.13, God says about himself, for your eyes are too pure to approve evil and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. God has a zero tolerance level for sin because he is wholly sinless. Now, when you couple that truth with the first sign post, we have a sin problem and God is sinless, you can get pretty discouraged pretty easily. For example, let's say on our imaginary trip from Oklahoma to Winnipeg, we see a sign that says Winnipeg 1300 miles. We think, well, that's a long way to go, but with perseverance, I can get there. And then you look at your gas gauge and you notice it shows you only have a quarter of a tank of gas left. No problem, you think, I'll just pull into the gas station. You pull in, but then as you reach into your billfold or your purse, you realize you have no cash and you have no credit card. Doesn't matter that you have a quarter of a tank of gas, that's not enough to get you there. You get pretty discouraged. You think, well, I guess all I can do is do a U-turn and try to make it back home. You know, the same is true for us. On our journey to heaven, none of us has enough spiritual gas or goodness to get into heaven. Now, some people have a quarter of a tank. Some people might have a half a tank. Some people might have seven-eighths of a tank full of goodness in their own life, but it's not enough to get to heaven. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what's our option there? Well, that leads to a third signpost on the way to heaven, and that is our need for a Savior. Jesus is the solution to our sin problem. There you are at the filling station. You have not enough gas to get where you are when all of a sudden this big tanker pulls in and stops. And the guy looks at you, opens his window and sees that you're pretty frustrated and says, what's the problem? Flat tire? No. Busted radiator? No. Well, what's the problem? You say, well, I've run out of gas. I don't have enough gas to get me where I need. He said, boy, is this your lucky day. I've got all the gas you can possibly use. And guess what? I'm feeling really charitable today. So even though I've got more gas than I need, I'm going to let you have some of it. You know, that's exactly what Jesus does for us. We are sinful. He is sinless, but he has exactly what we need to get to heaven. And when Jesus died on the cross in some inexplicable way, he took all of the punishment from God that you and I deserve. But not only that. Not only did Jesus take the punishment we deserve, but he gave us his goodness that we don't deserve. He credited us with his righteousness. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you know that because Jesus was the Son of God, he is the only person who's ever been born who could accomplish those two things. 
Only he could take the punishment for our sin because he was sinless. He didn't have to suffer for his own sin. He didn't have any sin. He was the only one qualified to bear the punishment we deserve. And he is the only person in history as the son of God who had enough righteousness to get to heaven. And that's why Jesus is different than any other religious leader in the world. You know, you look at the world major religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. Did you know they all acknowledged that Jesus Christ existed? They believe he was a good man, a holy prophet of God, but they stopped short, all of them, in saying that he was the son of God. Jesus can never solve your sin problem until you acknowledge that he is the only begotten son of God who is capable of being your sin substitute, of taking the punishment you deserve and giving you and me the righteousness we don't deserve. You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, I accept the fact that Jesus was a good man. He was a moral teacher. He's a great example. But God in the flesh, I can't go there. Well, did you know Jesus himself doesn't give you the option of just saying he was a good person or a great teacher? C.S. Lewis points that out in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, the reason you don't have that option of just saying Jesus was a good man is Jesus himself doesn't give you that option. He himself declared that he was the son of God. And that leaves us with a decision then about who Jesus is. Given the fact that he claimed to be the son of God, you have to decide. Was he a liar? That is, he claimed to be the son of God, but deep down he knew he wasn't. That would make him a liar, right? The second option is he's a lunatic. That is, he thought he was the son of God, even though he's not the son of God. He really thought he was. That would make him a lunatic who ought to be locked up. If you don't accept the fact that Jesus was a liar, if you don't think he was out of his mind as a lunatic, the only other option is he must be Lord. He must be exactly who he said he was. And we have to come to that conclusion in our own life of who Jesus is. Because he was the son of God, he alone can give us the righteousness we don't deserve. Romans 5.1, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word justified is a legal word. It means for a judge to declare not guilty. That means the moment you trust in Jesus to be your savior in that great courtroom of heaven, God slams down the gavel and says, not guilty, not guilty. You are forgiven of your sins. Now, this isn't a blanket pardon, a blanket forgiveness given to everyone. It is something that must be received through faith. Therefore, Romans 5.1 says, having been justified by faith. Faith is the conduit through which God pours his forgiveness, his goodness into our life. And that leads to the final signpost we have to acknowledge on our way to heaven. And that is we must choose to accept Christ's offer of forgiveness. You know, it's so interesting. If you have made it this far on the highway to heaven, you believe that you have a sin problem and that God is sinless and that Jesus can solve that sin problem by taking the punishment you deserve and giving you the righteousness you don't deserve. If you accept all of those truths, you are closer to heaven 
than 99% of people in the world. Most people turn away at the first idea that they're a sinner. Others turn away out of discouragement when they think God is too holy for them to ever have fellowship with. Other people, they stumble over the idea that only Jesus can offer salvation. If you've made it this far, you've made it further than most people. And yet, you're not there yet. You're almost there, but you're not there. There is a final step you have to take on that highway to heaven, and that is to individually choose to trust in Christ for salvation. Let's go back to our car with the quarter of a tank of gas. You realize you don't have enough gas. Next to you is a tanker filled with gas, but that doesn't get you to Manitoba. There has to be that point when you unscrew your gas cap and you allow that tanker to fill your empty tank with the gas you need to make it. And it's the same way in our relationship with God. You can believe that God is holy and you are unholy. You can believe that Jesus died and paid the price for our sins, but there has to be a time when God transfers the goodness, the righteousness of his son into your life. So that when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin. He sees the goodness, the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. John said it this way, but as many as received Jesus to them, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You know, we all have various amounts of goodness in our spiritual gas tank. Some people have a quarter of a tank. Some people have half a tank. Seven, some have seven-eighths of a tank, but it's not enough. Some are bone dry. It really doesn't matter. None of us has enough. But God offers his forgiveness to anyone and to everyone who asks. Randy Alcorn illustrates the wonderful power of God to forgive with this story from his own life. He writes, Wesley Allen Dodd tortured, molested, and murdered three boys in Vancouver, Washington, 15 miles from our home. Dodd was scheduled to be hanged, the first U.S. hanging in three decades, shortly after midnight on January 4th, 1993. At dinner that evening, both of our daughters, then 11 and 13, prayed earnestly that Dodd would repent and place his faith in Christ before he died. I agreed with their prayer, but only because I knew I should. I stayed up and watched. Reporters from all over the country crowded around the prison. Twelve media representatives were first-hand witnesses to the execution. When they emerged 30 minutes after Dodd died, they recounted the experience. One of them read Dodd's last words. I had thought there was no hope and no peace. I was wrong. I found hope and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Gasps and groans erupted from the crowd. Their anger was palpable. How dare someone who has done anything so terrible to say he has found hope and peace in Jesus? Does he really think God will let him into heaven after what he's done? Shut up and go to hell, child killer. You won't get off that easy. The idea of God's offering grace to Dodd was utterly offensive. And yet, didn't Jesus die for Dodd's sins just as he did for mine? No sin 
is bigger than the Savior. Grace is literally not of this world. I struggled with the idea of God saving God only because I thought too much of myself and too little of my Lord. Listen to me this morning. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much or how little goodness you have in your spiritual gas tank. God is able and willing to forgive you and to welcome you into heaven if you're willing to ask. As Paul said in Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 